deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin! And this game is underway with a bang! This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. 2019 has been really, really, really weird in the sense that we have barely talked any Green Bay Packers, right? Like when the Packers had their draft, we talked about Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage for what felt like like six minutes, seven minutes. All right, back to Bucks, back to Brewers, back to the, the regularly scheduled programming, right? Like, like that's how it's been. We haven't talked a lot of Packers, which is crazy to think and incredibly out of the ordinary because I don't know if I even knew the Milwaukee Bucks existed until I was in late elementary school, middle school. I certainly didn't think about the Brewers a ton until 2008 because that's when I actually learned how the playoffs in Major League Baseball work, right? Like, I didn't need to understand why do the Brewers have to win the division, right? And at the time, I was 12 years old. Like, Packers have always been number one. We've always talked mostly about the Packers, and we'll find time to sprinkle in stuff about the Brewers and the Bucks too. This year has been different, and I think it's been a nice change of pace. I think it's been fun, and I know some of our listeners of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY feel the same. I'm sure not everybody, but it certainly has been a nice change of pace. Today, let's change the pace from our change of pace, and let's talk about the Packers a little bit. They're in the middle of OTAs, uh, and there was some interesting news, a little bit of drama coming out of there today. So we will talk Bucks. Game four of the Eastern Conference Finals is tonight, 7.30 tip here on WKTY. Don't worry. We'll talk Bucks. We'll talk Eastern Conference Finals coming up later, but I wanted to start with this. Packers day two of OTAs was today. Organized team activities, how that stands for, which is different from mini camp and and different. There's a there's a bunch of training camp, spring training, whatever. There's a bunch of different activities. OTAs are are not are they mandatory? Are they not mandatory? Well, they're not mandatory for Josh Jones because he didn't show up. That was the big piece of news today. Rob Domovsky first reported that safety Josh Jones wants to be traded. Now, if you're a casual Packer fan, or maybe you're not a huge sports fan, you might say, who? Josh Jones. I know that name. Why do I know that name? What position? Yes, he's the safety Packers drafted in the second uh, round. He was the 61st overall pick in the 2017 draft. That was Ted Thompson's last draft, where he went Kevin King, Josh Jones. Remember that one, too? That That was Ted Thompson's final draft. If you didn't remember... Because Josh Jones really hasn't been that huge of an impact player. He's had moments, but he's also had a lot of bad moments. And he's also spent a lot of time on the bench, especially recently. And now Josh Jones looking at this offseason saying, well, wait, you, you paid a bunch of money to Adrian Amos. And then now you drafted Darnell Savage, 20, 21st overall. Wait, where do I fit into this? I'm not coming to OTA. Screw you guys. Trade me. So that's basically where we sit with Josh Jones. And look, that's not a huge story in and of itself. Don't get me wrong. That, that's that's very similar to Thon Maker requesting a trade for the Bucks. And I see Packers fans being really petty. Saying, man, good luck. Third-year player, you're going into your third year. You haven't done anything. Yeah, like you're going to find playing time anywhere else. Look, I don't I don't know. Maybe Josh Jones actually has some pop and he has some zip and, and he's just having an issue showing it in, in this scheme with this defensive coordinator and on this team. Hey, more power to him. If you feel like you're not going to get a good opportunity. Request a trade. I, I could care less. I don't feel any. I don't feel any frustration with Josh Jones for this at all because the Packers have made an attempt to kind of reshape their defense in two years here, through the draft and through free agency in a big way this year, bringing in the Smiths, bringing in Adrian Amos. Right, Brian Gutekunst is doing things a little bit differently. I was on Twitter yesterday as I 
as I very often am. If, if our listeners are on Twitter, by the way, and either follow us at WKTY or me at Keystroker Grant, you know exactly how often I'm on Twitter. I, I saw a tweet yesterday, and I thought, it was, I thought it was fascinating. Michael Cohen wrote an article for The Athletic about how Brian Gutekunst and Ted Thompson are approaching not only free agency differently, but the approach to the bottom of the roster and how they fill it out, right? And this, this was yesterday. This was a day ago. This is before any of this Josh Jones stuff came out. And when I saw it, I was like, man, that's really interesting. I read the article, looked at the stats, and I'm like, man, that's cool. That's interesting. I don't know how we're going to talk about it on the show because we're so busy with the Bucks, We're so busy with the Brewers. This is really cool. And it would do a fantastic job by Michael Cohen to, to recognize this and to dig it up and, and to bring it to light. But I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. But it was a fun read. And then less than 24 hours later, this happens. And I'm like, wait, these two things are kind of connected. The point of this article and the, and the point that uh, Michael Cohen is making covers the Packers for The Athletic. Used to be at PackersNews.com, you know, the whole USA Today network. He was pointing out that, that Brian Gutekunst is using players who have been drafted by other teams to fill out the bottom of the roster. Remember, Ted Thompson used to use undrafted free agents. He used to use sixth, seventh round picks that the Packers would make. He wouldn't use guys who, who, who had fallen off elsewhere, right? Didn't have a good opportunity. Maybe similar to, to Josh Jones, right? Some team is going to say, well, the Packers drafted him in the second round. Maybe he's got some potential. Let's bring him in. He can sit at the bottom of the roster. See if it works out differently here. That's exactly what Brian Gutekunst has been doing. Bringing in guys to fill out the bottom of the roster. This year alone, Brian Gutekunst has brought in uh, guys like, and last year, I should say, just 2019 as a whole, and these are the names that have been had been shared by Michael Cohen, right? Nico Saragusa, former fourth, round, fourth rounder from the Ravens, offensive lineman. Now, he was released after the draft, but noteworthy nonetheless. Cornerback Natrell Jamerson, right? The former Badger cornerback in safety hybrid. He was a fifth round pick by the Saints. Didn't really latch on, so he said, well, let's bring him in. He was drafted in the fifth round. He's, he's got some potential, right? Will Redmond, the cornerback, right? You saw a little bit of playing time last year. Seventh rounder from the Jets. Well, let's let's try him out. Excuse me. Third rounder from the 49ers. Let's bring him in. See, see what's going on. Let's not get caught up in the Michael Clarks of the world where we'll fill out the bottom of our roster with, with project guys, small school dudes nobody had heard of, and we'll see if we can find a gem. No. Brian Gutekinds has been handling it very differently. Now, to put it into perspective, right now there are one, Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen players currently on the Packers roster. I guess minus uh, um, um, Nico Saragusa. So I guess make it one less. There's that many players on the Packers roster that have been drafted by other teams. Now to give you an idea, in 2016, Ted Thompson had three. He had Latroy Guyon, Jared Cook, and Julius Peppers. In 2015, he had two. LaTroy Guyon and Julie, you got it, Julius Peppers, right? Ted Thompson didn't fill out the roster with players who were drafted and, and possibly let go by other teams. Brian Gutekinds has been doing that differently. In other words, Brian Gutekinds might look at this Josh Jones situation and say, yeah, I know Ted Thompson drafted you in the second round, but you know what? This former third rounder just got, got, got cut, got replaced by the 49ers. We like him more. Let's bring him in. Hey, we all miss on draft picks. We missed on Josh Jones, okay? We're going to move on, and we're going to try out this player. We're not going to go to some street free agent, some undrafted free agent, some project from a Division II like, like, like Jeff Janis, right, or Michael Clark. 
We're going to go get a guy who had a draft pedigree but but didn't work out somewhere else. And we're going to see if he'll fit here. And that's how Brian Gutekunst has been filling out the bottom of the roster. And that article, that study that Michael Cohen conducted was put out yesterday. And then, of course, this morning it comes out that Josh Jones wants out. He wants to be traded. Brian Gutekunst might see that and say, man, I know you were a second-round pick for us. I don't think it's working. We'll trade you. We'll cut you. Whatever. We'll let you go. And we're going to replace you with, with a player who is drafted high or in a mid-round by another team. I know it's not our guy, but but we like his pedigree. We like what his potential was. It just didn't work out there. We're going to bring him in. Very interesting philosophy change. Because at, at free agency has never been heavy-handed with the Packers, especially under Ted Thompson. But when he did use it, well, what did we see, right? We saw Jimmy Graham. We saw Charles Woodson. Martellus Bennett, not Jimmy Graham, excuse me. Martellus Bennett and, and Jared Cook, big name players. Let's bring in one big name player. It was never, well, let's bring in this guy who, who's a six-year veteran and has bounced around. We'll fill him out at the bottom of the roster to give us depth, right? These were never depth moves by Ted Thompson. Who were we talking about earlier? Julius Peppers, right? Jari Evans, that's a pretty big name, an established player. Martellus Bennett at the time, right? Ted Thompson, when he did bring in free agents, and it was very rare, they were top tier, especially in his later years. But even going back further, there were the Charles Woodsons and the Julius Peppers, and and then he got tight end crazy, right? If he was going into free agency, he was swinging for the fence. He was going big. Brian Gutekind saying, we don't don't have to do that. It's okay to bring in players who have been third-round picks, fourth-round picks, fifth-round picks by other teams. Didn't work out there, but, but they might hear. Completely different strategy. Gudikins filling out the bottom of that roster, not with soon-to-be guys like Josh Jones, but with players who maybe just didn't work out elsewhere. Not being afraid to fill out the roster uh, with players who were not drafted by Green Bay. Very, very interesting. And, and Josh Jones fitting right along with this theme. Former Packers pick isn't working out, and he's been replaced by Adrian Amos, who the Packers didn't draft. And Darnell Savage, who now the Packers have drafted under the Brian Gutekunst regime now that he's general manager. Very, very, uh, the timing worked out well uh, for this study and for this article by Michael Cohen. It's at The Athletic. You can read it there. It's subscription-based, but I'd highly recommend uh, uh, paying uh, to read the stuff on The Athletic. It is tremendous. Speaking of changes, we're talking about philosophy changes from Brian Gutekunst and Ted Thompson. There may just be a change happening in the Wisconsin sports scene. We're going to stick with the Packers, but we're going to open it up just a little bit wider. I I think there are some changes going on, not just between general managers of the Green Bay Packers, but in the entire sports world of Wisconsin. We'll get to that. Hope to hear from you as well coming up next. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show right here on WKTY. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks to Played Against Sports for making the show possible each and every evening. I I think this segment, this conversation is perfect for the Wisco Sports Show because it's not necessarily Packers, it's not necessarily Brewers, not necessarily Bucks, but it's Wisconsin sports all around. Tell you more here in a minute. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talking text line. You can reach me there if you want to talk Wisconsin sports. Well, we're talking a little bit of Packers as well. Josh Jones not showing up to OTAs. Day two of OTAs was today. He didn't show up, say he wants to be traded. Not happy about his role, and I can't blame him. Look, they drafted Darnell Savage and and, and brought in Adrian Amos in free agency. And look, I, I don't think that's necessarily unfair if the Packers look at Josh Jones and say he's 
just not that good. So we're going to bring in other guys. I don't know if anybody's getting screwed out of anything here, but definitely not an ideal situation for Josh Jones any longer. This from the Five Star Telecom talking text line says, if Jones can't show up for practice, release him to the bottom feeders of the league. Hashtag do your job. I mean, look, if Josh Jones wants to show up and compete and he, and he can't make the cut, he can't beat out Adrian Amos, he can't beat out Darnell Savage, and then he says to the Packers, go ahead and trade me, yeah, I, I suppose he could do that as well. Uh, but then again, let him go. Let him latch on with a team who wants him. Let him be a part of OTAs and an offseason activities from a team who wants him so he can learn the plays, learn the people. Look, I'm not necessarily against what Josh Jones is doing here, but I'm also not saying that he is a victim. I mean, he's not as good we assume, as Adrian Amos or Darnell Savage. Because if he was good or better than those players, the Packers wouldn't have gone out and spent the the free agency money, right? They wouldn't have spent the draft capital to get better players at his position. Just something to think about. It's crazy. This is one of the first times we've been talking Packers the last couple of weeks. Look, a, a couple of weeks ago, I reached out to a Packers guest who I've wanted to have on for a while, and we got it scheduled, and it, it came to a day or two before, and I, I texted him back. I said, man, I, I don't know where to put you. We're talking so much about the Bucks and about the Brewers and everything that's going on. I We got to wait. I don't have time to talk Packers right now. I only have one hour every night to talk to my audience, uh, to talk to our friends here on the Wisco Sports Show. I don't know where we're going to fit you in. So we're waiting. Like, like that's how busy we have been. And some people posing the question, man, have the Brewers and the Bucks actually surpassed the Packers? Which is insane, right? You never would think that. You never would have thought that in a million years. I, when we started the show today, I said, I might not have even known the Milwaukee Bucks were a thing until I was 6th, 7th grade. I was 12, 13 years old, right? Now, my family wasn't an NBA household growing up, so that's not necessarily fair. But they were never in the in the, the front of my mind. They were never on the TV at home. I didn't know h- how the MLB playoffs worked until 2008. I believe in 2008, I was in 5th grade. That was the year of the Obama election, yep. And the Brewers got CC Sabathia, and, and they're making this postseason push. And I'm asking my dad, so th- so this is why you have to win the division? Because you grow up, oh, the Brewers this many games back in the division. They're trying, got to win in the division. You'd always hear that, but I never knew why. I never knew why. I was 12 years old before I had to actually understand how to make the playoffs in Major League Baseball. It's always been about the Packers. Always. And now we're at the point where I'm not even talking about him. I'll go a week or two without even bringing the Packers up on this show. Well, I was doing a little bit of reading. I was doing some uh, some checking, uh, specifically this time on PackersNews.com, which goes to show you how big of a deal the Packers are, right? They have a literal PackersNews.com with highfalutin beat writers from the Green Bay Press-Gazette, the Milwaukee Journal-Sentinel, USA Today, right? Working together to provide this Packers coverage. So that is just another example of how big the Packers are. And there was an article, uh, and it's called The Four Biggest Questions or four key questions, I suppose, entering Matt LaFleur's OTA practices, okay? So there were some some questions that were presented to some of the writers. This one specifically posed at Ryan Wood. How badly do the Packers need to rebound this season in the context of the success of the Bucks and the Brewers regarding fan and media attention, right? How bad do the Packers need to win because the Brewers are winning, Bucks are winning, and everybody's watching them? Okay, and I'm going to read you his answer verbatim, okay? It's not that long. It's not like you got to... Not like you got to grab a drink, right? Sit down, cross your legs. It's not that long. Here's what Ryan said. The truth is we live in a very bandwagon-driven society. We're instantly attracted to the next hot item. So just as this is a fair question because of what the Packers haven't done the past two years and what the Bucks and the Brewers are doing now, the answer really rests on what they'll do in the future. 
I'm not sure I'd go to go so far as to say the Packers are third in the state's pro sports landscape at the moment, but they might be. And that possibility is kind of incredible given Aaron Rodgers still quarterbacks this team. If the Packers continue to peddle mediocrity while the Bucks and the Brewers remain title contenders, they'll remain an afterthought for periods of the calendar year as they are right now. But what if Giannis Antetokounmpo chases a big market in a few years? Or what if the Brewers get lost in the shuffle of a loaded National League Central? Just because the bandwagons are strong now doesn't mean they'll always be that way. And reality for the Packers is they'll always be one hot month from captivating the state's attention. They could use that month sooner than later. I don't think there's a a false word in there. I don't think there's a lie in there. I thought it was very nuanced saying, well, at the moment, you know, these teams are great and then the Packers have been mediocre. And that's 100% fair. And, And I do think a lot of the attention, a lot of the conversation has not gone towards the Packers. We talked Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage for all of a half hour. And then that was it. Normally... Around the draft, we'd talk about the draft for a week, right? We'd break down every pick and we'd talk about, we'd get guests and say, well, who's the best late round pick? Who do you think has the best chance to, to blow up right away? Who, who, who? No, we didn't do that. We talked about, we thought about the first and second round and, and we kind of moved on, which is definitely an outlier, but that's the nature of, of Wisconsin sports right now. The one line in here that's really loaded, and if you take it out of context, is worded pretty strongly, if the Packers continue to peddle mediocrity while the Bucks and the Brewers remain title contenders, they'll remain an afterthought for periods of the calendar year as they are right now. That was the line that everybody took, and that was the line that blew up on Twitter, and the Packers purists were pissed. All right, you ask Bill Michaels, and I have had this conversation with him. I've met him twice. That's not name-dropping. I'm just saying. I've heard this come out of Bill Michaels' mouth, right? The, the patriarch, the Jesus Christ of Wisconsin Sports Radio, who talks for four hours every day. That's a long time. Is somebody who does an hour here. That's a long time. He say, hey, doesn't matter when, doesn't matter where, the Packers are number one in this state. And you ask most people, they'll, they'll probably say the same thing. Right now, I don't, I don't know if that's the case. Now, I'm not saying the Bucks are number one or the, the Brewers are number one, but when was the last time that, that you talked with a friend about the Packers? Right? Well, what, are they, what about the offseason the Packers are having? Yeah, when free agency happened, we looked at it. We talked about it. Yeah, when the draft happened, we, we talked about it for a day or two, but we're not still talking about it. We're not, we're not biting our nails waiting for, uh, for OTAs and waiting for practices and waiting for training camp. No, we're, we're occupied on other things right now. They are an afterthought currently. Now, when the season rolls around, they're going to be anything but an afterthought, regardless of how good or bad they are. But right now, they're, they're a little bit of an afterthought. Now, yesterday, I tweeted on Twitter because all this was blowing up. A lot of uh, the Packers talking heads and the Packers purists, oh, the Packers will never be, they'll always be number one, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, wait a minute. I tweeted, when was the last time we talked Packers on WKTY? And I added Dave and I added Scrady. I said, when was the last time you guys talked Packers? And Dave and Scrady talked for three hours. Three. I only talked for one. It's easy for me to, to glaze over the Packers right now because there's so much else going on. David and Scrady got to, they got to talk about a little more. They got a lot more time to fill, right? A lot more conversations to have with you. And I got responses from, from two of our listeners, from Jason and from Char. Jason said, it's been really pleasant without the Packer chatter. Char said, I'm with you, Jason. People aren't dying for Packers talk right now. People aren't texting us saying, talk about the Packers. People aren't tweeting us saying, shut up about the Brewers and the Bucks. No one cares. Talk about the Packers. They're number one. We're not hearing that. I'm not getting that. 
Now, maybe there are those people, and I hope that when you tune into the Wisco Sports Show or when you tune into Mornings with David Scrady that you say, hey, the Brewers are playing pretty well. What's up with them? What, what is about this Giannis guy and the Bucks? Because there are people who only care about the Packers, and I recognize that. They might not be the majority, but they're definitely out there. I hope that we have got some of those people interested in these other teams because both of, both of them are playing really, really good right now. They're both exciting. But I, I don't know if you can say right now that the Packers are still number one. I don't know if you can say that the Packers, if I were to do a show, should take up 75% of my time, which let's be real... If I'm talking for an hour every day, in the last 10 years, majority of the time, I bet half of the show every day would go to the Packers. 75% of the show, especially in the fall and in the summer and in the winter, would go to the Packers. I haven't talked about the Packers. This is the first time we've talked about the Packers since the draft. We're just not talking a lot of green and gold right now. I don't know if that's true. If you got an opinion, shoot me a text, 608-796-2558 on the five-star telecom talking text line. I'm, I'm living life. I'm living large right now. Without any Green Bay Packers talk. We got game four of the of the Eastern Conference Finals tonight. We got the Brewers who, despite a kind of a rough stretch and a rough patch in the schedule, are a handful of games over 500, second in the division, a very tough division with the Cardinals, with the Cubs, which with a much improved Reds and the always interesting Pittsburgh Pirates. We're in a good position with some of these teams. I'm not dying. I'm not, God, would the Packers, would they do something? Would Aaron Rodgers give us something? Aaron Rodgers talked about Game of Thrones today. I could have came on here and talked about that. And I said, no way. We got too much to do. We got too much important business to get to with the Bucks, with the Brewers. I don't think the Packers are number one at the moment. Now, when Packers season rolls around, yeah, they'll probably be number one. Even if the Brewers are in the postseason. We're not going to ignore the Packers in the regular season. That's for damn sure. But I think to say that if the Packers remain mediocre, there's going to be times of the year, like right now, where we just... We got bigger and better things to talk about. We got bigger fish to fry. And I know Packers purists, Packers Packers fans who say, screw the Brewers, screw the box. Packers are the only team that matters. Those people are pissed. They hear stuff like that and they are upset. But if you are a fan, you are a sports radio person who only likes the Packers, I'm glad to have you here. And I hope I've gotten you interested. I hope you've enjoyed our discussions about the Brewers and the Bucks. And maybe I'm starting to swing you around a little bit. We got to talk about the Bucks because we are two hours away from tip-off of Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, Game 3 was frustrating. I called it exhausting yesterday when I came in to talk about it and break it down. There is some reason to believe that Game 4 will go differently. In fact, there's months and months and months and nearly 85 games of reason why Game 4 will go differently. You might know what I'm talking about if you're a Bucks fan because we've talked about this plenty of times. If you're new to the show, let's go. You're about we're about to get hit with some facts. You're about to get hit with some numbers on why the Bucks, I think, are going to win tonight, and they might do it convincingly in Toronto in Game Four. Let's talk about that coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Play It Again Sports. Don't go anywhere. Stay right here on WKTY. <laughs> Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Not the final segment. We got 25 minutes left. What am I saying? My name's Grant Bills, and maybe I'm just stressed about the Bucks game. Forgetting what time it is. It's on at 7.30. Pre-game starts at 7 here on WKTY. However you're listening right now, that'll do the trick come 7 o'clock when pre-game takes over. Ted Davis, Justin Garcia, Dennis Krause. Everyone involved in the Bucks radio network will have the call. Brewers are going to be on our sister station tonight, WIZM. Pre-game starts at 
1410 AM, 92.3 FM, uh, right through the wall, which I'm looking at. That's WIZM, our sister station. So we got a lot going on tonight. Bucks looking to bounce back after a frustrating game three in which it went to double overtime. We talked about this yesterday. Their starters played horribly. Their bench was much more efficient. Their bench was 19 of 33, uh, shooting near 58%. The Bucks starters shot about 26, 27%. And it was basically the perfect storm. Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Eric Bledsoe all playing pretty poorly. Brooke Lopez actually had 16 points. He wasn't half bad. The problem was Eric Bledsoe could probably get away with having 11 points. And you could have a nine-point performance from Chris Middleton. And Giannis could score 12. But the three of them probably can't all do it at once. They might have gotten away with it the other night. The problem was the efficiency numbers were just terrible. Giannis, 5 of 16. Chris... 3 of 16. Eric Bledsoe, 3 of 16. Like, if Giannis is getting double teamed and he has no good opportunities to shoot and he only scores 12, but he takes 11 shots and he hits 6 of them, okay, well, that's that, that's different. But getting up 16 shots and only having 12 points, well, well, now there's a lot of empty possessions. There's probably a lot of turnovers. Giannis did have 8. Eric Bledsoe did have 5. That certainly assisted Toronto in getting their offense cooking, moving in transition, getting better shots, more open shots, open lanes at the rim. Bucks played very poorly outside of their bench. George Hill had 24. Malcolm Brogdon had 20. Like, it's a shame to waste that night by the bench. I think it is safe to say you're not going to have Giannis, Middleton, and Bledsoe all have a poor performance once again, but also you can't come to expect 24 from George Hill and 20 from Brogdon. You got to take that opportunity when you can get it. The Bucks let that slide the other night, although they did stretch it to double overtime. Now, really interesting statistic about the Bucks, and if you weren't listening to the Wisco Sports Show throughout the regular season, first of all, I'm glad to have you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being a part of what we do every night here on WKTY. Something that we talked about a ton is the Bucks' ability to bounce back after a loss. It's something they did incredibly well. In fact, it took them all the way until April to lose back-to-back games. Uh, something they only did once and have yet to only do once. Knock on wood that it doesn't happen a second time tonight. Bucks don't lose back-to-back games. They're very good at bouncing back, making adjustments, responding to whatever Coach Budenholzer has to say, responding to whatever shows up on the tape, coming out and playing better the next time out. And that all starts and ends with Giannis Antetokounmpo. This is obviously a really deep team. Role players have been playing well basically throughout the entire postseason. The one game George Hill was bad, Ursan Ilyasova popped off, right? Like, this team is deep, and there's a lot of guys who can score, a lot of players who can shoot and do a lot of different things. But it all starts and ends with Giannis. Even if he doesn't go for 30, 40 points, he does so much. He's so important to how the offense is run, to how the defense is run, that it starts and ends with number 34. Luckily for Bucks fans and the Bucks, is Giannis has been the poster child for bouncing back after a loss, for bouncing back after a poor game. Now, Giannis was held under 15 points on Monday night, or on Sunday night in game three. That was the fifth time this year it had been done, four of which were in the regular season, one of which was in the Pistons series, which was the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Five times he has been held under 15 points. Now, the four games that have happened, obviously, Giannis is held under 15, so the result is yet to be seen tonight. Following those four instances where Giannis scored under 15 points, he went for 44, he went for 30, he went for 27, and once again, he went for 44. That was the closeout game, which led to the sweep of Detroit in the first round. 44, 30, 27, 44. Giannis 
following games where he has scored under 15 points is averaging 35 and a half points. Giannis knows how to bounce back. And I think that really lends the Bucks to, to being a very good bounce back team because a lot of times when Giannis is scoring under 15 points, their chances of winning are, are lessened. Now it depends on the competition. It depends on the, the location, you know, who's injured, who's playing. There's a lot of factors, but for the most part, if Giannis scores under 15 points, their chance of winning is lessened. It's definitely smaller, right? So when the Bucks play poorly, which is typically because Giannis plays poorly, they're able to bounce back due to, in part, Giannis. Man, when he plays bad, he comes back upset. He comes back to prove a point. And in games where he has scored under 15 points, he repeats, he follows up those performances with an average of 35 and a half in the following game. Now, I don't know if Giannis is going to go for 35 and a half tonight. I think there's so much energy and so much attention being put on Giannis that I just don't know if the, the Raptors are going to let that happen. My concern is with the rest of the team because I truly, in my heart of hearts, believe that Giannis will not have a game where he only scores 12 points and he has eight turnovers. I don't think that's going to happen in back-to-back games because I don't think Giannis will let it happen. I just think he's that type of player. Now, does that mean he's going to score 20? Because that would still it would be kind of lackluster. Does it mean he's going to score 35? I, I don't know. Giannis, I can confidently say, is not going to score 12. But I could see Bledsoe scoring 11 again. I could see Middleton scoring 9. But the one variable that I'm that I'm fairly confident in is that Giannis will have an improved performance. I don't know if he'll go for 35 and a half like we've seen in previous instances, but I think he is going to improve. My question lays with Eric Bledsoe and lays with Chris Middleton. What are they going to do? How are they going to follow up those performances? Because if you hear Giannis talk and you see video and you hear stories and anecdotes of what he does following a loss, how he behaves, how he spends his time after a loss or after a poor game, it's something else. Right, of course, we've all heard the stories of Giannis going from the arena, going to the press conference and walking right across the street to the practice facility to get up shots. Doesn't even change. After a 48-minute NBA regular season game. He didn't like something in his game. He didn't like the way that his team performed. And he's going to go work on it immediately. Go answer questions. Walk across the street. Go get some shots up. Giannis is that kind of personality. Reading reports and reading... Uh, and listening to to reporters and media members talk who were in the locker room following Game 3 in Toronto, Giannis just sitting at his locker staring off into nothing. He's not a guy in, 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 in his attitude or his demeanor who seems to smile and shrug off a loss and say, well, we'll see if we'll get him next time. That's, that's not his DNA. That's not who he is. I have no doubt that Giannis will improve his game. 12 points just isn't going to happen again, I do not believe. The 23 rebounds, that that might regress to the mean. That was something else. And part of what makes Giannis so, so spectacular is in a night where everything was tilted against him offensively, he was still able to make his impact felt with 23 rebounds, 20 of which were defensive rebounds, which is how you close out a possession, right? Defense is important. You can have a great 24 seconds defensively, great switches, great communication, but if you can't get the rebound, it is all for nothing. Part of a defensive possession, part of playing defense is being able to lock down the rebound. Giannis made his impact felt. He also had seven assists. I have no doubt that Giannis will improve in this game. I think he will score more. I, I saw the over-under at Giannis' scoring tonight was set at like 27-28. Like, think about that for a sec, right? Vegas is asking you to bet over or under 28 points or 27 points, whatever it was, for a point total for Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's a lot of points in a road playoff game when everything is going to be designed to prevent Giannis from scoring. The over-under set at 27, 28 points. That goes to show you 
because in games following a, a subpar performance, specifically 15 points or under, Giannis has scored 44, 30, 27, 44. It's an average of 35 and a half points. Giannis is meant to bounce back. He is born to bounce back. That's just the player that he is. My questions lie with Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe. And Nikola Mirotic, who wasn't great either, he was 3 of 11, 1 of 7 from beyond the three-point line, right? I don't know if you can ask for much more from your bench. He gave you 54 points. It's pretty solid. A four-man bench giving you 54 points. I, I don't know if George Hill's going to go for 24 again. I don't know if Brogdon's going to go for 20, although I'm feeling pretty good about Malcolm Brogdon, as we talked about yesterday. Those superstar players, or, or, or superstars to the Bucks, they have to show up tonight. Bledsoe has got to be cleaner. He has to be smarter. He has to be under control. He can't shoot 3 of 16. Chris Middleton maybe needs to be more selective about the shots he's taking because he is an excellent shooter. Chris Middleton going 3 of 16 from the floor? That can't happen. That's too many missed shots. That's too many empty possessions. And everybody all around has to be better from the free throw line. Giannis, 2 of 7. Middleton, 2 of 4. Bledsoe, 4 of 6. I said yesterday, all things considered, the poor shooting, the turnovers, right, the the, the mixed-up defensive assignments, like, it, all of that aside, if you just would have hit your free throws the other night, you would have won. Buck shot 22 of 33. Like, you had five free throws in there, which is incredibly realistic. They would have won. A lot of wasted opportunity the other night. A lot of wasted opportunity. Buck stars have to step up and start. I have no doubt about Giannis. I don't know about everyone else. I think there's two givens. That Giannis is going to play well tonight, and Malcolm Brogdon is going to play a smart, consistent game like he has up until this point. I think that's part of his value. I think that makes up uh, how much he is worth to this team. And we talked about that yesterday. Those are the two givens. Everything else is up in the air. And Bledsoe and Middleton need to start by having a good bounce back game tonight. Looking across the way, looking to the other bench, Kawhi Leonard has, has been tremendous. He was tremendous the other night. Playing through an injury, a lot of minutes. He guarded Giannis and did so very well. He got his points the other night. Now, he took a lot of shots. Don't get me wrong, he shot 25 times, he had 36 points, and the double overtime helped everyone's point totals, which is why 16 points or 11 points for Eric Bledsoe is so embarrassing, and Middleton having nine is so embarrassing. Yeah, he had two overtimes, okay? The Bucks letting Kawhi Leonard score a little bit. We've been talking about the defensive style with Kawhi Leonard. I wonder if that'll change tonight. I don't know. I was re-watching some clips from the game, the way they were defending Kawhi, and I, some things jumped out to me. So, a little bit of homework, a little bit of something to watch a little bit of something to pay attention to tonight. Game four coming up at 730. We'll talk about that as we wrap the Wisco Sports Show up. That's coming up next, uh, provided by, of course, Played Against Sports here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. Thanks for hanging out. We're, we're, of course, leading up to tonight's Eastern Conference Finals Game 4, Bucks-Raptors. Milwaukee leads 2-1. to one. Brewers will be on our sister station, WIZM 92.3 FM, 14.10 AM, getting underway a little bit earlier. They'll be on at 6.05. Bucks all the way at 7 o'clock, tip-off at 7.30. Now, we're talking about the Bucks starters, especially outside of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis, he has shown the, the capability all regular season long and in the postseason as well in the first round to rebound from a poor performance in games where Giannis has scored under 15 points. He has followed those performances up with an average of 35 and a half points. I'm not worried about Giannis. The rest of the starting lineup is a different story. I want to see what Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton do both. 
Plain and simple, as much as it is about scoring from the Bucks' best players, it is also about defending Kawhi Leonard, who is by far and away the Raptors' best player, and it might be a larger gap on the Raptors between Kawhi and company than Giannis and company on the Bucks. Now, in Game 3, and in, in Game one's, game one and 2, actually, in the entire series, the Bucks had what jumped out to me as a, as a pretty distinct style of defending Kawhi Leonard, and that was, we're not going to blitz you, we're not going to aggressively W, we're just going to show, okay? We're going to put Chris Middleton on you, and we're going to have him hound you. And when you drive, we'll get an extra arm in there, we'll get an extra body, but but we're not going to commit. We're not going to send a player flying across the floor to double-team you to force you to pass, to force you to shoot, to force you, right? We're not going to force you to do anything. If you want to shoot 25, 26 times a game, and you want to take contested shots, go ahead. You'll make some, yeah, they'll be tough, we'll make you work, but that's fine. What we're not going to do is aggressively double, abandon shooters, abandon other players at the expense of Kawhi Leonard not shooting. And for the most part, that's worked. I know Kawhi scored 36 the other night. But I still think that defensive strategy has worked out. You let Kawhi Leonard get into the paint. You let him drive. And the thing about Kawhi Leonard is he's really, at least this year, has not been that great of a passer in the postseason. Now, I know Kawhi Leonard's a great basketball player. He's great at everything. So it's all relative. When I say he's not a great passer, he's not... A guy who will rack up assists. I know he had five the other night. In the postseason so far, Kawhi Leonard has 52 assists, 47 turnovers. Okay? Now, Kawhi Leonard has been playing a lot of hero ball, especially in the Sixers series. It became more about Kawhi Leonard doing things on his own than I think we've seen all year long. I believed in Siakam. I believed in Gasol and Kyle Lowry. Well, maybe not Kyle Lowry, but certainly Danny Green, right? And Serge Ibaka. Like, those are established players. But it became about Kawhi get out of his way, and see what he can do. And that's continued to some extent into this series, at least certainly in parts at the end of games and the end of quarters and such. 52 assists, 47 turnovers. Now, Danny Green has been bad. Mark Gasol has been bad. He was better the other night. Kyle Lowry fouled out. He was great in game one, has not been great since. Pascal Siakam was bad in games one and two, was good the other night. Don't get me wrong, it's not like Kawhi Leonard should be looking to pass a ton. He doesn't have the supporting cast that Giannis does. But 42 assists, or 52 assists, excuse me, and 47 turnovers in the playoffs so far, that's not a great ratio. Against the Bucks, he has 9 assists and 10 turnovers. Now, you could get into a chicken or the egg type of discussion here, right? Is Kawhi Leonard not passing because the Bucks are kind of allowing him to shoot? Like, they're not doubling him, they're not forcing him to pass. Or is he not passing because he doesn't want to or because he's a bad passer? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Okay, that's neither here nor there. Plain and simple, though, Giannis has shown the ability to less in in Sunday night's game, but has shown the ability most of the time to get double teamed, to find himself in a crowd and to kick it out to an open shooter to find another player. It's not that Kawhi can't do that. We just haven't seen it as often. I think the Bucks should continue to defend Kawhi Leonard the way they have. That's been, we're not going to aggressively double you. We're not going to blitz you. I think that might be the best word. We're not going to bring an extra defender from across the court to run up, trap you, and force you to shoot or force you to pass. We're not going to force you to do anything. If you want to get into the paint, if you want to get into the lane and take a tough contested jumper, we're going to show extra bodies. There are going to be extra arms. The Bucks are very long. They don't need to go very far uh, to impact the play. Arms up, right? Outreached. But we'll let you do your thing. And in the Sixers series and in the opening weekend, or the opening two games of this, this Bucks raptors series, we saw plenty 
of Kawhi Leonard hoisting contested shot after contested shot after contested shot. And don't get me wrong, Kawhi's going to make some of them because that's how good he is. But I don't know if that's necessarily a sustainable source of, of offense, right? We'll let you shoot. We're not going to force you to pass. We're not going to double team you. We're just going to help a tiny little bit. And we're going to let you shoot 25 to 28 times per game. We're going to let you tire yourself out because you play so many minutes. The other night, Kawhi Leonard played 52 minutes. Now, the game did go to double overtime. Don't get me wrong. 52 minutes. But Giannis only played 45. Middleton only played 44. Eric Bledsoe only played 34. Malcolm Brogdon only played 37. Like, those those numbers are big. And you're, we're getting to the point in the playoffs now where there's only one day off in between. And it certainly is going to help that the Raptors are playing at home. They're going to be a little bit more energized. The role players probably going to play a little bit better. We saw the other night the whistle kind of tilting in one way or the other near the end. Not about free throws. Not complaining the Bucs didn't get to the line because they did. We talked about that yesterday. The officiating at times. Not an excuse, just an observation. That's what home court advantage gives you. But I think all of those factors somewhat play into the Bucks' defensive strategy that they have been using on Kawhi Leonard. We're not going to force you to pass. Like, we don't want you to pass. We want you to heave contested shots and tire yourself out so in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter, you're exhausted or on the bench and we can make a run. Now, the Bucs did all of that in Game 3. They just didn't make the run. That's what didn't happen. The Raptors were very resilient, knowing that if we lose this game, it's done. It's over. Goodbye. Good night. Now, they're going to have some of that same feeling tonight, but it is hard to replicate an all-out live-or-die game twice, right? This is Game 4 is where you see a lot of uh, the better team, the higher seed, win on the road. Game starts 2-0. The, the road team knows that in Game 3, they're at home and they cannot lose. They cannot go down 3-0. And they come out and they put forward their best effort 100%. They lay it on the line because they know their season is over if they go down 3-0. And the Raptors put it all on the line to win in double overtime. Kawhi Leonard, 52 minutes, playing through the injury, guarding Giannis, everything. They threw the kitchen sink at the Bucks and they beat him. This upcoming game is where you see a lot of times the road team, but in this instance, they're playing at home, the lesser seed, just not being able to replicate the effort from game three, not being able to charge themselves up that high once again, and the higher seed just stealing a game on the road. And then, of course, the Bucs could go on to clinch at five at the Pfizer Forum at game five. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but there's certainly years and years of precedence of watching the NBA playoffs where you can say best team goes up to nothing, swaps to the lesser team's court, the lower seed. They go all out to save their season in game three. They do it whether it's close or whether it's a blowout. In this instance, it was very close. And then they're just not able to get up that high in game four once again. And I think all those factors help the Bucs, especially given Kawhi Leonard is now having a little bit of an injury and he played 52 minutes. Then again, only one quarter from Danny Green getting hot. One quarter from Pascal Siakam playing really, really well. It'll be something interesting to watch tonight, the way they defend Kawhi and the way that the Raptors defend the Bucs because they certainly switched it up the other night. Will they switch it up again? Or will they stick with what worked? The Bucs have shown that they've been able to figure stuff out. Did they give them a new look? Do they stick with what worked? I can't wait to see. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Same time, same place. Enjoy the Bucks game tonight. Wisco Sports Show tomorrow. Can't wait to talk to you then.